Welcome to Series 4 of Behind Closed Doors podcast series. Hello, I am Donnie Walford, the founder and managing director of Behind Closed Doors. In today's episode, we are speaking with Karen Elaine. Karen is a financial coach and educator. She founded her own business in 2019, Women Talking Finance. Put simply, Karen helps women develop a better relationship with their money. Karen describes herself as a money coach, former financial advisor, morning person, reformed shoe addict, and mother. She's much more than that, so let's hear what else this fabulous woman has to offer. Karen Eli, we are so, so pleased to have you with us today because you've got so many wonderful hints and tricks to help women and couples to secure their financial future and make a better relationship with money. So we are so looking forward to hear what you've got to tell us today. You're truly a finance guru and from leading a very impressive career in finance and wealth advisory to achieving success with your own business, Women Talking Finance. You've helped so many women feel financially empowered and capable. And that's why we are so excited to have you on our podcast today to speak on the topic, Achieving Financial Independence. As a starting note, please define financial independence for our listeners and what does it mean? Thanks, Donnie. So my definition of financial independence is being in a position where your financial assets pay you an investment income that funds your lifestyle. So this means you work because you choose to, not because you have to. It means you're not financially reliant on anyone else. You're not reliant on an employer to pay your wage. You're not reliant on your parents or family or a partner Or if you're self-employed, you're not reliant on your clients. You own enough shares, super properties and other assets that pay you the income you need to live the life you want to live, whatever that looks for you. And do you find that different ages will look at their different investments differently? Yeah, they will look at them differently because all investments have a particular time frame that you need to be invested in them. So The younger you are, the greater your time frame is, which means that you can invest in more riskier type assets because they tend to have those longer time frames. So, yeah, I would agree we have different focuses and different preference for different types of assets, depending on what stage and age of life we're at. When you talk asset, you're talking about an investment asset such as? Could be shares, Australian shares or international shares. It could be your superannuation investments. It could be investment properties. It could be a business or cash in the bank. So yes, all of the assets. So it's interesting because I I doubt many listeners would even understand that their own superannuation actually is an investment. So that's good to hear. So starting with your own journey, have you always been good with money and finances? Donnie, I'd love to tell you that yes, I've always been good with money. (laughs) (laughs) I studied accounting at uni and went on to do multiple degrees and a master's in financial advising, but no, I wasn't always good with money. In my 20s and 30s, I had a bigger shoe portfolio than a share portfolio. (laughs) (laughs) And look, I've never been in a position of getting myself into debt through overspending, but I also didn't put enough into my savings and investment as super as I could have when I was younger. But that said, I was always focused on earning good money. 
by the age of 11, I had my own market store where I worked on the weekends. So completely an entrepreneur from a young age. I had three jobs while I was at university. So I always had a strong income coming in. And while my sister was reading Cosmo and Clio magazines, I was reading <laughs> I was reading the Financial Review in the Australians. I've always fascinated by how the economy, the government and businesses work to create wealth. Oh, so even though you might not have been great with savings, you were still very interested in the way money worked and the economy worked. Absolutely. I didn't really get serious about my own personal investing until my mid to late 30s when I purchased a lot more shares. I bought into a financial advisory firm and later properties. And at the age of 31, I actually borrowed $750,000 to buy into a financial advisory firm. And that's a significant amount of money 18 years ago for a 31-year-old. And it's quite, it is. Yeah, it's quite different Absolutely. borrowing money to buy your own home or bricks and mortar than it is borrowing that kind of money for a business that has highs and lows. So you'd class that as an asset though? Absolutely. Yeah. So mm. it was an asset. But a riskier one. You, you just hope the, riskier the, one. You hope the business is successful and obviously you wear the benefits of an upside of selling out or selling the business. That's right. Yeah. So as any type of business, you would hope that there's profits that are generated. So you share in the profit share of the business, but then the valuation also goes up as well. So, of course. Yeah. So money and I didn't get off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> But your shoe wardrobe did. <laughs> That's right. I still got quite a few of those. So it was money for me was more enjoyment and self-validation really rather than security. But over the years I've matured and come to look after it much better. And I really do believe taking care of our finances is the best self-care a woman can give herself. We look after our money and it will look after us in years to come. Along with our health and fitness. Absolutely. <laughs> so money can be a scary topic for some and it may conjure saving and spending habits that we aren't proud of or make people feel inadequate. If they feel maths and numbers, for example, aren't a strong point for them, from an emotional standpoint, why do some fear talking or thinking about money and what can be done to overcome this fear? I think it's a great question. And there are two main reasons why we can experience challenging emotions and behaviours when it comes to our money. First and foremost, it's our childhood experiences or what I refer to as our financial blueprint, which is what we believe, feel and the way we behave with money. And that financial blueprint is created between the ages of two and 12 years old. Really? Yes. It's quite <laughs> scary. So Two years old with money. I mean, mm -hmm. you wouldn't even, well, these days, because everything's by, you know, a tap of the phone or a tap of a watch, you wouldn't even realise that they understood what money was. That's right. But as a two-year-old, a two-year-old is very emotional based. They don't have a lot of language to use. So they're picking up on the energies of their parents or their family around them. So is there scarcity in the home? Is there abundance? Children are like, a child's brain is like a recording device, Donnie, but it doesn't know what it's recording because it doesn't have the capacity to make sense of the information. If you think of an eight-year-old, they're not capable of making rational or logical processing or understanding the context around, you know, why it's confusing that mum or dad's a big spender and then the other parent is really frugal or that perhaps they observe being wealthy is a bad thing. So wealthy people take advantage to others or they're not happy, money doesn't make you happy, which is the way a lot of children are raised. But these things, these messages 
are hardwiring into the child's brain. Mm, really interesting. Mm. So there's a lot of psychology around money. A lot of psychology. So for 16 years I was a financial advisor dealing with all the practical things like investing and cash flow and super and retirement planning. But I got really curious as to why people do what they do with money, why they have these challenging emotions, like you said before, about feeling the fear or not wanting to talk about it or avoid it. And I know it all comes down to the psychological aspects of money. And so that's why I created the business Women Talking Finance. So it's very much around financial literacy, but almost financial therapy. So when clients come to see me... <laughs> I felt like you're a financial therapist. It's like, well, just between you and I, I am, but you're not going to come and see me if I if I lead with that. So, yeah, absolutely. That's interesting, though. That's a different take on it, I think, for our listeners. So, aside from feeling overwhelmed or fearful of money, some women also suffer from guilt around their finances, and guilt can be considered a strange thing to feel about with money. Is it typical for women to feel guilty about their spending and saving and what triggers feelings of guilt? Yeah, so I see a lot of guilt and it's not just guilt around their spending and savings. It's guilt around how much they earn or how much they under earn. Because the problem is we connect our net worth, which is our financial position, with our self-worth. And this stems back again to our childhood because most kids are raised that if you be good or do good, you will get something. But the problem is when money becomes a bargaining chip that our parents use to get children to behave or conform to their needs or do what they want them to do, that gets really intertwined with our self-worth. So there are some really challenging emotions that women and men suffer around their financial situation, whether it be earning too much or having too much money. I see as much guilt from women that are wealthy as I do see guilt from women that are struggling or don't feel like they're where they should be financially. And the problem is we compare. We are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But the problem is we really don't understand. So you might be comparing yourself to other people at work that, oh, they're going on the European holidays, not at the moment, but <laughs> normally, or they're driving the European car or they've got the beautiful home. From the outside, everything looks like they're financially successful, but you've really got no idea how much debt they're actually carrying for that. But we just look and see the outside rather than being able to see on the inside. So we're constantly comparing ourselves and it quite often isn't a good measure. Karen, I think you've just explained why women find it difficult to ask for pay rises and ask for fee rises, for example, for themselves, but they're okay advocating for others but find it difficult for themselves with the same sort of thing you're talking about with the guild around money. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Because as I said before, we're imprinting quite significantly around the ages of 2 and 12. So if you grew up learning as a child that the way that you got attention and to be loved was to do nice things for other people, then that strategy is going to keep playing out over and over in your life. The way that you can feel valued is by doing stuff for other people, by being a really good employee. And your needs aren't as important as other people's needs. Mm, interesting. The pleaser. <laughs> That's right. The people pleaser, the good girl. <laughs> the nice girl. That's right. Mm. So where do you start when planning for a secure financial future? So thinking about, as you said earlier, about superannuation and retirement at a young age can feel odd when it seems so far away. 
equally, women in their 50s may believe it's too late to save and invest. So what are your thoughts and advice around either too young to start saving and investing or maybe too old? So I don't think it's ever too young to start investing. And when you're planning for a secure financial future, there's a couple of things you need to do at the start. The first step is to imagine what do you want your retirement to look like? Because you've got to be able to see it and visualize it. And then you ask yourself, how old will you be? Because this gives you a time frame and money needs time frames. So if we think about someone who's in their 50s, I want to retire at age 65 and I want to be able to go on one holiday a year and buy the things and go out for dinner. So you've imagined what you want your retirement to look like. You've given it a time frame. If you're 50 now and 65 is your ideal retirement age, you've got 15 years. And then it's about how much money will your retirement life cost you? Is it $1,000 a week? Is it $2,000 a week? Because then you can come back to those important numbers, the time frame and the financial goal. So for example, Donnie, if someone wants to retire at 65 and they want to live on $70,000 a year, that might require to have investments of $1.2 million. And then that's going to generate an income for them that'll see them through to their life expectancy based on a 5% return. So they're kind of the things that you need to think about. And the longer time frame that you've got to do that, the better. Karen, you just mentioned about a 5% return. Is that what you would expect as an average return on your money at whatever stage that you decide to retire? Yeah, that's right. So it is really important. So as a financial advisor, when we did retirement planning and retirement financial modelling, If you can have someone that is what we would classify as a balanced investor, where 70% of their assets are in growth assets that keep pace with inflation and provide a higher interest rate or return, that's 70% in shares and property and growth assets and 30% in cash and fixed interest. Most super funds call that a balanced investment option. And over time, that gives between a 75 to 8% return, not every year, but if you average it out over 20 or 30 years. So by drawing 5% down on that, that is what we call a really safe withdrawal rate because you're still being able to keep pace with inflation. Because if you're getting 7 to 8% return and you're only drawing down 5% of that, it's allowing your capital to keep growing or sustaining over time. Uh, That helps with inflation because inflation really impacts our retirement because if we're in retirement for 20 or 30 years, there's a strong impact there that we need to account for. So I do use 5% as that safe withdrawdown rate. And that's very likely in today's world, isn't it, that we'd probably be in our retirement years for at least 20, 30 years. That's right, yeah. So most of the modelling is done on a life expectancy for women of 86 years old. But I suspect with medical advances, this is going to get higher and higher. So we need to plan for it because the government isn't going to financially be able to sustain longer life expectancies based on our population. So it's really important that we start creating our own financial future and independence rather than thinking that we can just rely on Centrelink and age pension because I'm 48 now and I'm really not very hopeful that when I'm in my 60s or 70s 
that the government's going to have enough money there to financially support us all. I don't think it's going to be likely in 10 to 15 years, let alone when you reach retirement, Karen, if you ever retire. (laughs) (laughs) So finally, what are your top three tips for women striving to achieve financial independence? So my first one is to understand your relationship with money, because I really believe in a duality of money. And what I mean by that is just like there's two sides to a dollar coin, there's two sides to managing our money. There's the external practical side that you'll get from a financial advisor, cash flow, spending, saving, investing. But the other side is our internal relationship or mindset around money. Because whatever you're experiencing on the outside, your financial position is a direct reflection of what you believe inside about money, about your worthiness to either earn it or keep it. So you need to understand what financial beliefs and behaviours are holding you back because as humans, we tend to self-sabotage us. I see it all the time with women when it comes to money and they really don't understand the triggers or why they do what they do with money. So that is the first one. Understand your relationship with money, which leads to the next one because when we're investing in shares and we all hear about market crashes and we can get really disheartened about, oh, investing in shares is too risky. What if it goes down 10 or 20%? What I know to be true after seeing decade after decade of financial ups and downs on the markets is that when we have those 10 or 20% corrections, they always go back up. So what is actually going to more adversely affect your financial position over the long term is your own behaviours. So if you under earn, if you overspend, if you don't save, if you don't actually take it upon yourself to have financial responsibility to say, I need to learn more about investing. I need to do the work and put in the time to understand how super works and how my super is invested. These patterns and behaviors of oversaving, under earning or avoidance will have a much greater significant impact on your finances and your end financial position more than any other stock market crash or losses on the markets. And then the last one is to understand that the money you earn today isn't just for today. And I'm talking to my 20-year-old self, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) So you need to be putting a percentage away of the income that you earn today for your financial future. And just have a think about what can you do today? So you could start with 5% of your income and then increase that every year to ideally have around 20 to 25% of your income today that you're putting away for your future. And how many people stay disciplined to that five up to 25%? The people that have goals stay disciplined and have financial success because goals, financial goals, lifestyle goals, give us the motivation and drive we need to do what needs to be done. So I tend to find women that don't have a financial goal, their money will just go everywhere and anywhere, that it doesn't have a purpose. Our goals give our money a purpose and our money needs direction. Give every dollar that you earn a purpose. This is going here for my financial future. This is going here to pay living costs. This is going here for fun stuff and my enjoyment. You need to really give every dollar that you earn a purpose. And so when you do have that, then you'll have success and you'll stick to that. 
Karen, I think that ending was absolutely perfect. I've never heard the financial goals having a purpose mean so much until you just said it. So thank you so much today. So much education and tips in there for our listeners. Go well and wishing you more success than you've already had, Karen. Thank you, Johnny. And I just want to thank you for actually opening up and having this really important conversation about money because the more that we talk about it, the better it is for women. Thanks for listening to Women on the Move, the Behind Closed Doors podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. To find out more about Behind Closed Doors, visit www.behindcloseddoors.com where you can find the full range of membership options. Women on the Move was recorded on Ghana lands and is a narrative network audio production.